right, we're going to start actually with a map of the area, which should appear for you to take a look at. Um, so basically, um, Jerusalem was in the south of um, was in the south, and then up in the north was the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus would travel back and forth between the north and the south, and in between was this big region um, called Samaria, and it was originally ten tribes of Israel that had sort of settled in Samaria, and then the two bottom tribes were called Judah. And Assyria came and conquered these ten tribes and took them away. So all these um, Hebrew people were distributed, and then other people were settled in that land, and then eventually they came back after the exile, and there was just this whole like intermixing of people and different tribes and cultures, and the religion got really mixed. So Samaritans sort of believed in God, but they only had the first five books of the Bible, and they didn't believe anything after that. And so um, the Jews in Jerusalem basically like looked down on the Samaritans as second-class citizens. Like those are not pure people. They're they're interbred. They aren't worshiping correctly. And so anyone who is really concerned with purity and living rightly, they actually avoided going through the whole area of Samaria, and they would go around. I don't know if you can see it on your map. There's the River Jordan, and they would go, like, around the other side to get up to Galilee and, like, just not even enter Samaritan territory so that they could stay pure. And um, so funny tie-in with our series being called This is the Way, if someone was hearing that Jesus was going to go into Samaria and they were a devout Hebrew Jewish believer at the time, they would have said, no, this is not the way. Like, go around. Don't go in there. So that's just a funny, like, Jesus, it says Jesus had to go to Samaria. And everyone else hearing that would have been like, no, no, you don't have to go there. I promise. And Jesus even plays on that hatred um, in another famous parable, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan, of course, where it turns out that the only person who is actually living out God's command to love your neighbor is the Samaritan. That would have been highly offensive to Jewish ears. Um, and I wanted to give you two other vid visuals. The next two pictures, they're going to pop up here in a minute. Um, is that we actually still have Jacob's well. So that's just kind of a cool tie-in for us today. Um, Jacob's well, um, where Jesus goes and where he rests, is a landmark that you can still visit. And it's, today it's inside a large Orthodox church. So the first picture is should be the church <clears throat> that pops up. That's an actual place you can visit. And then inside the church is where the well is. And there should be a picture of that too. Um, so those, um, we think this is possibly one of the most accurate biblical landmarks because there aren't abundance of wells in that whole area. And a well that was so deep it wouldn't shift much over time. So I just thought that was kind of a cool fact that this is a place Jesus probably was, we can say, with some amount of accuracy. Of course, it wasn't inside a church at the time. But um, I wanted to share those pictures with you because I like getting those, those details that tie us in concretely to the reality, the world today. So, like I said, this chapter starts with Jesus had to go through Samaria. 
Why? Obviously, most people have said, no, don't go there. But when we look at the end of the story, it seems so obvious when we look at the fruit of him traveling through there. This entire town comes to believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. And that's the entire goal of John's gospel. Um, on the next slide, I just have John's sort of summary statement of why he writes this entire book. And he says, he's written all these things down that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why Jesus had to go through Samaria, because that was the goal. Um, today I'm going to go really, I'm going to focus in on some major points, but guys, this passage is so rich, so please take some time at home to go explore it. If there's things you have questions about or curiosities, there's there are so many themes that run here, through here and like rich word studies you can do that we just can't get into all the details this morning, even though I would love to. So I really encourage you, like, go look at it and, and explore some commentaries and look some stuff up because it's, it's a really exciting passage. But I'm going to focus in on three reasons that I think that John included this story in his gospel. And, and the first one is that God wants everyone. And I'm just going to have my points with pictures of some artwork that have displays of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman. Um, so those will pop up too. And it's just to give you another way that different artists have portrayed this meeting. So my first point is God wants everyone. I think it's really significant that John tells this story right after telling the story of Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus because it contrasts these two people that Jesus talks to. Nicodemus is a named Jewish male religious leader. Okay, so he's kind of like up here, right? And then you have the unnamed Samaritan woman. And so John really demonstrates, just by putting these two stories together, what he says in John 3.16, that God so loved the world, everyone, from the top to the bottom, everyone, whether you're Jewish or Samaritan, male or female, with a religious, you know, leadership role or nothing. And I actually had a really, I had kind of a special experience this week because I was scrolling through Facebook and a former friend and neighbor of mine, she actually used to babysit me when I was little in Germany growing up. She was preaching at a church in Germany and I got to watch her sermon. And it was such a challenge for me because I haven't lived in Germany since 2003. So I'm like, you know, really concentrating to try and grasp what she's preaching for 40 minutes, but it was so refreshing and such a good reminder for me that God is God for everyone. God is God in German. God is God in any language. Like we don't have the, you know, the corner on God. He's not, he doesn't speak in English. He speaks in every language. And that was just a really cool, really basic reminder to me that God wants everyone, any language. So um, I think a really, really big reason Jesus had to go through Samaria was to show his disciples this fact, that God really wants everyone. 
because these were the people that they were prejudiced against. And even in John's gospel, you can see in that parentheses, even as he's writing, he's still saying, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. So it's a big deal. Like Jesus is like trying to show them up front ahead of time, I want these people too. And in fact, in the next story, after the Samaritan woman, you'll see that Jesus heals a Gentile centurion's son. And that's another step out into the world. Now they're Gentile. They don't even believe anything about this God. And he's a centurion. He works for the Romans. He's part of the oppressing group. Um, so the salvation that comes from the Jews, like Jesus so clearly states here, it goes out into Samaria and into the world. And we get to see this pattern repeated when we get to Acts, where the apostles who have witnessed Jesus here talking to a Samaritan woman, talking to Samaritans, they go out from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and out into the world. And the wider church, everybody gets integrated as the gospel goes out. So if there's nothing else that you end up taking home today, I really want you to take home the fact that God is seeking sinners. Jesus says in this conversation with this woman that he initiated, God seeks worshipers. God wants us. God wants us to know him, to know his nearness, to know his love. And it may feel like a struggle to find God in your life. It may feel like you don't know God very well. You might be worried you're doing it all wrong. But I think both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman show us that God still wants us because they didn't get it either. They really struggled to understand what Jesus was saying to them. And God wanted them. And Jesus so gently guided them to greater understanding. So if you want to know God, God will show up. Please ask for that. All right, so the second reason... <clears throat> I think that John includes this passage is that he really wants us to know better who this God is that we're worshiping and how to worship him. So the second point I call Jesus is the way. This is the way. Jesus is the way. Um, <clears throat> and this is, um, this is really important if you do feel like you struggle to understand this God of ours because it is sometimes, it does sometimes feel really complicated. But <clears throat> you're not alone in this. And I think John wants to give us this big picture, like really literally you could t take a lot of time to just examine Jesus in this passage and all of his facets to understand more of who God is. And actually one of the cool things that I discovered was even though our word for the Trinity came much later, we only developed our doctrine for the Trinity um, a, like hundreds of years later, it was passages like these that give us a glimpse of that concept early on. Because when John says that true worship, like when he writes that Jesus is saying, true worship is worshiping God in the spirit and truth. What he means is worshiping God by the means of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. And we had the spirit was capitalized in the passage, so that would give you a clue. But actually truth wasn't. But Jesus refers to himself as the truth. He is the truth. So it isn't, it, it is the Holy Spirit and Jesus is how we worship. And he explains that really clearly as well. And it's not necessary to worship in a temple. It doesn't, you don't have to be a certain ethnicity. You don't have to be a certain gender or class. You don't have to go to the special mountain. The Samaritans picked a mountain because they couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem anymore. So they had made their 
you know, this is now our holy place. You don't have to go to any of those places. All you need to worship God correctly is to worship him in the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. This, this is the way to do it. We have access to God, not through rituals or motions that we have to learn, that other people teach us. It, it's not going to these places, but it's through the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. This God who wants everyone, the God who wants you and seeks worshipers, makes sure that we can come near to him. He makes sure he is accessible. God gives us the way to worship him in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So that's really exciting. You don't have to do it. He makes the way for you. And another uh, really important theme in John is God's humanity. And I love this in this passage, right? Jesus is the word made flesh. And in this passage, we see how human Jesus is, right? He's tired. He's been walking a really long time. He's tired, and he's hungry, and he's thirsty, and he needs to rest. He needs water, and he needs food. Like, he has an actual body. He has physical needs. So, um... I just think this is so powerful. It's such a big reminder to us, especially those of us who tend to be helpers in our community. Like, Jesus is a human, and he has needs, and he asks for things. He says to the woman, like, can you give me a drink? He humbles himself. He is the son of God, and he's asking a human for water. He probably could have just, like, made water, but he allows himself to be helped by a human. That's amazing. Are we doing that? If we're helpers, are we humbling ourselves to say, yeah, we have needs and allowing ourselves to be helped, maybe even be helped by people we wouldn't think should, you know, be capable of helping us? I just think that's a really important picture here, that Jesus is both fully human and fully God. And also later, in this little funny snippet when the disciples come back, and bring him food, and they're like, here, you can eat now. And he's like, actually, I'm good. And they're like, oh, where do you get this food? His physical hunger got met spiritually in this conversation with this woman. Like, the Samaritan woman's response to Jesus actually nourishes him. And I just think that's a really cool picture, too, of how when we are getting to do the work of the Lord, it feeds us. And how nourishing it is to be able to have those moments where we get to help someone. So allow yourself to be helped and enjoy being nourished by helping other people. <laughs> so um, I think what's also neat when you see the progression, the Samaritan woman's understanding of who Jesus is sort of takes this trajectory where she starts out and she's like, um, you're a Jewish man. You shouldn't even be talking to me. Then when he tells her about her life, She's like, oh, you, you're a prophet. And she understands, like, this is somebody important. But she still doesn't totally get it. And then Jesus actually reveals himself to her. He says, I am she, the Messiah that she is waiting for. He gives her that information, which she often doesn't give other people. And he tells her, I am the one that you're looking for. And then by the end of the passage, all the Samaritans proclaim, Jesus is the savior of the world. So it's it's cool how you can see 
first spiritual growth take place just in the course of the conversation. All right, <clears throat> so if someone's thinking, great, I'm glad that God wants me. I'm glad Jesus made a way for me as the Savior of the world. But really, like, what's the point right now? The world doesn't look too saved at the moment. I don't know how this helps me now. What do I get out of drawing near to God? How does it help me to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit? I think that's a huge part of why John shares this passage, not only to remind his early readers, but to remind us today that we receive life. This is my third point. We receive life. Jesus makes this abundantly clear as he speaks to the Samaritan woman about the living water. The living water that Jesus offers the Samaritan woman actually is the Holy Spirit. We know this because a few chapters later in John chapter 7, uh, verse 37 to 39, Jesus actually explicitly connects living water and the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit will flow like living water in all believers. And of course, like in that time, living water actually referred to fresh water that flowed in rivers and streams or springs and was obviously a lot more desirable than well water. Wells could grow stagnant, they could be poisoned, they could dry up. But in the Holy Spirit, we have this source of life that flows eternally and won't dry up. We have constant access to what we require. And as we thirst, we can immediately access the water that will satisfy us. So it doesn't mean we drink once and then we're never thirsty again, right? It means that every time we feel our thirst, we have the source of living water in us. We can get that thirst met. This is amazing news, guys. I don't know if we think about this enough, is that we have access to what we need. And there's so many metaphors that Christ uses in John. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Through God, we receive life. And when we're talking about life, we're not just talking about mere survival. We're talking about flourishing. We're talking about abundance. And a lot of people in this world today do not flourish. And there is no abundance in a lot of places. There are a lot of people who are struggling to survive, a lot that don't make it. We can see a lot of not flourishing in this world around us. So where is this life that we're supposed to get? It's here in incremental moments, and it's coming in fullness. So it's that whole now and not yet of the kingdom. Jesus even says that in the passage where he says, but the time is coming and is here. It's that balance of, yes, Jesus' kingdom is here and it reigns in our, in our lives today in every moment that we submit ourselves to him, in every moment that we ask God for life and we let him breathe through us. We are allowing more space, more of God's kingdom to be present and ourselves to be aware of the reality of his kingdom. And at the same time, his kingdom is not reigning here yet. There are other competing kingdoms in this world, right? 
We see that. We see the pain. We see the evil. And so we have to grapple with how do we wait in hope for a kingdom that is now but also not yet. And it reminds me when Paul, Paul actually describes this, right? He says in 2 Corinthians 4, he writes, this is verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think we spend a lot of times like not, we don't want to be escapists. Like just remember heaven's coming, it will all be fine. But actually we really do need to think about how wonderful it is going to be. We need that hope. Are you allowing yourselves to be reminded every day of the joy that is coming? Do we consider God our source of this joy? Do we consider him to be as necessary to us as breath, water, and food? Every day, Lord, I need this hope. I need you. And do we return to the source of life for continued replenishment as we burn out? as we dry up, as we lose hope. I don't want to guilt trip us, right? Like, oh shoot, I'm not doing that. Remember, the Samaritan woman asked for this water so she wouldn't have to return to the well. Like, she obviously doesn't get it at first. She doesn't get the offer for eternity. And her focus is on the immediate physical presence because that's what she can see. She's unaware of God's kingdom reality, right? One commentator says she has a weak faith. She gives a misdirected asking, but she does ask. And that is all Jesus asked of her. Even when our faith is weak and our asking isn't even entirely right, Jesus still keeps his promise. If you ask, I will give. We can receive life every day by asking. Ask God for hope. I think sometimes that we're so weary or wounded or or worried or distracted that we can't even ask. So I want to remind us all, this is why knowing Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is so important. Because even when we don't know what to say, even when we can't, we have powerful allies in the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. They are both described in scripture as interceding for us before the Father. We have Hebrews 7.25 talking about Jesus. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And then we've got 1 John 2.1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And Romans 8 has this beautiful two passages, one passage where the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through wordless groans. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And later on in the passage, it says, Jesus Christ who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
we're not alone in this. God gives us Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to get us through this. And as the body of Christ, we can also be the church to each other by remembering to pray for each other, to remember to take care of each other's needs and minister to each other. We can bring this life through doing those things. We bring life through encouraging each other, reminding each other every day. This world eventually gets healed, guys. The earth gets transformed. In the final day of judgment, we get to see justice actually prevail. We get to see goodness reign. God will make all things new. We will receive this life as we have never known it. And right in this passage, we get to see a little glimpse, just a little glimpse of that kingdom, this joy and this hope. We get to watch God's power work so powerfully through this woman that she rushes away to her town. She's like, I don't even need this water anymore. I'm leaving my jar here. And she rushes away to proclaim hope to her whole town, a whole town who happens to be eager to believe. They rush out to meet Jesus. They ask him to stay for two days. And he gets to enjoy this harvest. It's a great example of the now and not yet paradigm. He gets to enjoy people who already know he's the savior of the world before he does the actual crucifixion and resurrection. Like they already receive life. And this source of life is a free gift. It's for everyone. Jesus wants us to ask, live an asking life. It's really pretty simple. Don't put more barriers between yourself and him than you need to. Just ask. Ask for what you need. And let's take heart from this story because she didn't get it either at first. But she was courageous enough to stay engaged. She argues with him. She learns from him. And ultimately, she overflows with the good news to those around her. And if she could be that person, we can be that person too. Don't let yourself get dehydrated when we could be sipping this living water every day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that even though we can't meet in a church building today, we are still the church. And that your body is still glorifying you all over the world everywhere in living rooms, Lord, that we can still honor you and praise you and worship you and remind ourselves and each other that you reign and that your glory is coming and that you have saved us and we can thank you every day for that. Thank you for the living water. Amen.